Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So today I'm very excited to welcome Julia Haber. Um, for those of you who don't know, she is the founder of Home From College, which is a two-sided marketplace connecting college students and brands and really empowering them to create and learn about post-college life during college. She's actually spent most of her adult life empowering college students and creating businesses for college students. And I actually just found out she actually hated college. So I'm excited to go through (laughs) that in the podcast. But overall, she is a badass entrepreneur, amazing human all around. And we are so excited to have you, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm the biggest fan of this podcast. I'm so proud of you guys for starting this. It's really amazing. She's she's a loyal listener. Loyal yes, listener. Since, since day one. Um, so as you know from our podcast, we always start with kind of two questions, maybe one. Um, but really, what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success and are they related at all? I was thinking about this a lot in the car ride over here because... I feel like at this moment in life, a lot is shifting from the sense of like, what is the end game and what are you doing? And I think COVID is a big part of that. It's helping people realize that you don't need to have one life. You can have many lives. But I feel like as an entrepreneur, because there's so many ups and downs in your career, you have to live in like micro moments. So fulfillment can happen in an hour long period, but maybe not even within a full day and to feel fulfilled. And I feel that in such a deep way because there are the high highs and the low lows really quickly. And I feel that they're not correlated success and fulfillment. But I think if you are successful or textbook definition successful, many people are not fulfilled. So it can have a positive or a negative correlation, but I don't think the two go together necessarily in impacting your life. And for me, I try and live in those moments so that I don't make big, broad assumptions on how I am and what I'm feeling when I want to validate each of those moments throughout the whole day, even though, you know, the net net could be different at the end. 
I love that you said that because I also find as a founder, you have such low lows and such high highs so that if you're constantly in this like up and down roller coaster, you just, you just can't lead a life like that. So what you typically do is you stay in this like middle ground, but then it becomes hard to feel the high highs or really feel the low lows. So how do you typically do that? I think it's like a self-protection mechanism where you can't let yourself feel too much of each other because then it can derail you emotionally. But I think what I've been trying to do is detach like my self-worth from each of those micro feelings because that's what I feel like really can be toxic for you. If you're saying, I just closed this big deal and I'm an amazing salesperson, or I just raised this capital and I am going to be the next billionaire. Like you can't associate who you are and your worth by the actions you have just done. It can just be a component of who you are. And I think that's been a big lesson for me because I've realized the startup world's like majorly a marathon and not a sprint. And the media glorifies it as though it's a, a sprint because you think of overnight successes that are never overnight. And that's been a mental shift for me recently. How do you put that in practice? It's, I think it's very hard to not identify with your business or with the things that happen in your business meaning something about you. I think it's impossible not to. It's just more about recognizing that you are feeling that at that moment. So if you do close a big deal and you're really proud of yourself, which you should be in that moment, but you should say, okay, I close this deal from 12 to one, but I'm going to go take a walk at 1.30 because I need some fresh air and I've been sitting at this desk for three hours and I need to clear my head and that's good for me. And then I have Pilates later and I'm looking forward to moving my body and that's also important to me. And I am all of these things rather than just being in a cave because that's the problem, I think, when you don't have the perspective of looking out of what you're doing. So I try and block many different things into my day that are not all in the same vein so that I can reinforce to myself that I'm more than just that one thing that I was successful doing that day. So do you have that same flexibility with your employees? You allow them to do that? Totally. I think it's harder to enforce that on others in the same way because everybody kind of has their own needs. And that's been a learning for me as a founder because you want everybody to have the same level of passion and enthusiasm you do, which you never will. And you'll set yourself up for failure if you do that. But I think being really honest all the time, we work with a lot of college students and a lot of young people who are at the beginning of their career. They for sure advocate for their needs better than I think our millennial plus employees do. And that's been a big lesson for me. They've actually even taught me to do that better and set those boundaries. Yeah. Gen Z is incredibly authentic and really just like say their needs. And um, Julia actually hosted this panel with a bunch of college students and they were saying like job offers when they get a job offer, if it doesn't have like culture things that they really value, then they're not going <laughs> to, they're not going to sign up. I love that. So they don't care how much the money is or what company it is. If they don't have the flexibility and they don't have the ability to be their authentic selves and they're saying no, and they have no qualms about finding another job. They just have this like innate sense of authenticity and belief in themselves that they'll just find another way. And they feel, which I thought was so fascinating too, that a lot of times, you know, bosses will give feedback to their employees and they feel really strongly about having the opportunity to give feedback back. And if 
an employer does not instigate that, that that's considered a toxic culture and they don't want to be part of that. Wow. And honestly, that is so healthy. Like that does make sense because it's like, I would like everyone to come from the perspective of like everyone has something to teach you and you have something to give and teach as well. And that is such a like true thing. We've lived in such a top down world. And even in like romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. friendships, like you want there to be equal footing. Like I bring value in this way. I give advice and vice versa. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't matter what (laughs) status you are just because like you're 21 and your boss is, let's say, 40 doesn't mean they can't get feedback too, right? It's always like two-sided. Yeah. Like you're not perfect just because you're my boss or you were hired before me or you were born before me. I actually saw something maybe on Instagram or TikTok that was like, maybe it was LinkedIn. (laughs) All one of these that was like, (laughs) let's stop this whole like experience needed thing because it's like sometimes that isn't the value someone has. Yes. And I think that's become such a that's such an old school traditional thing where it's like you need this much experience. And it's like, yeah, there's some merit to that, but there's also some merit to like your natural gifts and talents. And I think the world, the value that young people bring to the world is so much more valued than it was five, 10 years ago because TikTok and social media and understanding a young consumer and the purchasing power of that demographic that you need to have the respect for that. But on the counter side, I think there are unlearned elements that Gen Z has that are workplace dynamics and respect. And there's so much education that we have to do to bring them up to like cultural speed about what's appropriate and what's rude and how to handle people with respect. Like we pay like thousands and thousands and thousands of students through our platform home from college. And if an invoice is due from a brand, let's say at like midnight on Wednesday, if at 6 a.m. the next day, the student hasn't been paid. We will get like hundreds of emails basically being like, where is the payment? It was supposed to happen on this day, X, Y, Z. And it's just, there's- So there's a sense of entitlement. A little bit of an entitlement that is- Which comes with age too, I think. I mean, sometimes it's personality, but I think, because I feel like that's when millennials join the workforce or like we are the generation of everyone starting their own companies, boomers and what's our parents' generation? Gen- I don't know. But they're looking at us like, well, who are all these people who think like at 18, you can start your own business and like you have to climb the ladder. Like I think there's all of every generation's breaking these rules, which comes back to you. That's kind of what you did. For sure. And for me, it wasn't even that intentional to break those rules. I grew up with a learning disability and I was like diagnosed in like kindergarten. I have like a slow processing speed, which basically means I am horrible at multiple choice test taking, which a lot of people are. It's like not a big chronic thing. But for me, I realized from a really young age that I was not going to fit into the box that everybody fit into from the perspective of like, I take a test and I perform really well and I will then do well. So from my life, I had always been told that and supported by my parents to say, you don't need to follow the rules to be successful. And that followed me throughout my whole career. And in college, like every normal college student, you have to take tests. And I basically said, I don't see myself being successful by sitting here and taking a 60 question multiple choice test and pass this class. I've studied for hours, but I just know I won't do well. 
So what if I go and pitch the professor a creative alternative assignment where I create a study guide because I'm a really good graphic designer and then they can distribute it to the class as a study guide to prep for the test. But then I can show my knowledge in a different way. And I did that throughout all of college. Wow, they agreed. Some people gave me a harder time, like an astronomy professor who couldn't understand that that was actually a way to learn. But advocating for my needs in that way and building relationships, like almost friendships with my professors where I would have to sit with them and I'd bring coffee and I'd schmooze with them and I'd talk about news relevant things and build the relationship to then say, hey, listen, I really want to do well in this class and I know you want me to do well as well. And I think I need to do it a little bit differently. And if you're willing to take a chance on me, I can show you my worth. And I did that in every single class and I graduated with a 4.0. And wow. I would have never done that. Otherwise. I have so many questions. How did yeah. you, from a young age, like advocate for yourself? Like, I couldn't even do that after college, like trying to ask for a raise. Yeah, like I would not have that confidence yeah. to be like, and also the wisdom to be like, it's okay that I don't learn the same way. Cause it, I completely agree. Like, who decided that yes. multiple choice test is right for everyone to absorb knowledge 100%. and to grade people in that way? But I would—I don't even think I would have the wherewithal to be like, this isn't the way I learn or accumulate knowledge, but here's an alternative route. Like, that is very wise. Like, how did you not have shame and instead use it as like, nope, I know my magic, so I'm going to ask the teacher Were if I can use my magic. Were you with yourself? I totally had shame. Like, I think all in elementary school, I was pulled out of the classroom to go into a smaller classroom to learn, and people would make fun of me, and it was the worst feeling ever, and— It was like a traumatic feeling as like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old. You would have to take a language in like sixth grade or something. And I didn't take a language because I was in resource room. And I was so ashamed by that that I would tell everybody I took Latin. And (laughs) nobody knew that I was in resource room. But then I started to scream it off the rooftops because I started to realize that I actually could do things differently. And I had a huge opportunity in high school to be part of this program called the Alternative School in my school. And essentially... From 10th through 12th grade, you can join this program where you don't take any tests and you just write essays. And it's all conversational learning, learning for the sake of learning. And you choose your criteria and you primarily do internships. It's amazing. And you don't get grades. So when I applied to college, I didn't have a GPA. And it's just comments, pages of comments. And through that, it validated to me that even though I don't think like everyone, I can find success in my own way. And I think that gave me the confidence to be able to do that. And I think relationship building was always something that came pretty easily to me. So I could, I said, okay, what are the pieces that could come together that could help me advocate for myself better? And I didn't even realize it was advocating because it felt so much worse for me to fail a multiple choice test after studying for hours it almost was not an option for me to feel that terrible that I would do anything. So it was like a survival mechanism. Definitely. What changed within you that you started to like scream it off the rooftops? When I started to find success in the new avenue that I felt confident. So I think when I did get the validation that it was okay for me to do that and people were still willing to give me a grade, I think that was like a baseline, number one. And then number two is that It was actually providing value for other people too, Mm -hmm. that the way that I was working could actually help other people potentially feel successful as well. And that it was okay to not feel that way. And people weren't really talking about it that much. Like, you know, now you don't have to take the SAT or the ACT, but- You don't? Nope. It's optional. 
What? <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, it is. Cr- it's a very archaic way of thinking. I mean, I completely see why it's no longer. But and that's- it's great. But it 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 took a long time to get there. It only really happened because of COVID, and it wasn't possible to really make get sure everyone people in were- a classroom. Exactly. That's so wild. So it's it's truly amazing because you took this like learning disability and this adversity that you were faced, and you really used it to find your magic. And I don't think you saw at the time, but that kind of like creative ability to be like, hey, teacher, like, can I just do a presentation instead? That creativity and that like ability to just use a different side of you is so much a part of your magic and what you use today in all the businesses that you've created and in the success that you've had. Did you realize it then that this was like a magic of yours or you were just like, no, this is how I get by? I think in college, it was just about getting by. I really didn't care. I started my first business my freshman year of college, and I really wanted to be successful. I was always wanting to be an A student, but I I spent like 90% of my college career traveling to other college campuses with my first business. So I was never really in that mindset, but I realized that it could be valuable for me to find the way I would not feel like I was wasting my time because a lot of energy went into things where I wasn't feeling successful. And that was such a horrible feeling. And I think everybody experiences that in different ways, whether it's in a job or it's with family or whatever that looks like. That avenue actually gave me the confidence to say, maybe you don't need to follow all the rules to be successful. And maybe if you handle it with respect and you build relationships, that that can be an avenue where it can work for you. And I think that's something that people need to learn a little bit more. I think maybe this next generation knows they don't have to follow the rules, but it should come with a little bit more empathy and respect, I think. Wow. Yeah, double-sided. Mm-hmm. Like being less entitled, but also knowing that you can do things your own way. That Everyone so has a different path. And I think the more that we enforce, like you have to do X, Y, Z, you have to have this much experience. Like every job description, Jasmine, as you said earlier, says three plus years of experience in X, Y, Z, but some of the best candidates for that role are people who just have that magic sense of the innate sense in them to perform well. So I think companies, and Julia, you probably know this really well, companies that stick to their traditional corporate culture are going to be the companies that do not succeed longer term and they need to kind of adapt with the times. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like what Bo said in our podcast about how people started to come to her for like her special sauce, like what she had to offer that was unique to her value. Mm -hmm. And it had nothing to do with numbers or experience or pedigree. It had to do with just being herself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's so fascinating. I think that same level of confidence that I learned over time is something that I strive to include in the community feel of my company home from college because the whole thesis is to help students start their career and be the place where it's okay to start and have nothing on your resume and still feel successful. And that narrative is totally changing. I think companies now realize that fresh perspectives and not being pedigreed is smart. And sometimes people will look at resumes in the same way and say, all you have is hostess. Uh, But we created a product feature in a student's resume called IQ or interview questions, where brands sponsor questions they actually ask in interviews. Because we heard from many students that they because they had nothing on their resume, they never got the chance to get an interview. So they never could show how they thought, even though they had a lot of amazing ideas to share. So now that's all within the product. So a lot of them share how they think 
without ever having to talk to somebody prior. And I think a lot of it comes with accepting that that's also valuable, not just hard skills. So, I mean, from what it sounds like, you're helping a lot of people. You're giving people who have a disadvantage an advantage, which is incredible. Was that the why that you set out with when this all happened? I know that you pivoted and you can like tell a little bit of that story, but it was that sort of, because coming back to fulfillment, it sounds like like that would be very fulfilling for me even hearing about it. It's like emotional because you're giving people a chance. And it's going full circle to what she went through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I'm deeply connected to it from that period of life because I see vulnerability in that. And I know it can be so impactful if you're given the chance. And I think a lot of people don't actually get that opportunity. We know 90% of college students don't have an internship before they graduate college. So that opportunity set is very limited, but that was not at all where I really started. I was like obsessed with brands and I interned in college really luckily at Spotify and Snapchat. And I saw that brands really wanted to understand this demographic and started my first company, which was an experiential agency, which was, was like a million learnings there, but pivoted 3 million times over and pre-COVID was building a very different business to what Home From College is today. And when the world shut down and every college student went home from college, I turned to my co-founder, who's also my boyfriend, and I said, um, this whole thing we just spent a year and a half building this other business is not going to exist. Let's buy the domain homefromcollege.com. I have no idea what it's going to be, but let's throw up a landing page and let's just be a place where, to support students during this really vulnerable time when they went home from college in their childhood dorm rooms. And there's so much anxiety about the world. And we threw up a landing page and it just blew up because students felt heard in a way they hadn't before. And then we just you know, almost two and a half years later has, it's become a very different business. But with that same thesis of being a supporter to a generation that can sometimes be overlooked from a professional standpoint and being the home where they feel accepted for who they are. So you you mentioned you, you had internships at Spotify and Snapchat. Did you ever feel like, oh, great, like I, I want to join one of these companies and have the structure and all that? Like, how did you not get kind of like comfortable in that corporate culture and be like, oh, that was just an internship and now I'm going to go start my own company. Like, how did you have the confidence in yourself at such a young age to just start your own company? Like you never really actually worked at a company post-college other than an internship. You went right into entrepreneurship. That's incredible. My freshman year of college, I saw this, actually I should give my dad credit on parents weekend. We saw this empty space in the middle of the campus. And we said, that would be really cool for a pop-up space. And this is like two months into college, my freshman year. And for some reason, I'm super type A. And I also like didn't love the social element of college. So I immersed myself in things that I was motivated by, started my first pop-up. And we did a pop-up with Lululemon on Syracuse University's campus. And it took me like almost a year and a half to build the first one. And they sold like almost $100,000 worth of inventory in one day on campus, which was crazy. Wow. It's amazing. But I was like, that's like not really a business. But like this was fun to do because I didn't really know that you could start a business in that way. But I had incorporated like some entity because I needed to like create legal documents. But I was like, yeah, whatever. I really want to intern in tech and get tech experience. And I fought my way into both those internships. One was a master's program. They were like, we're not hiring anybody that is undergrad. And I networked and 
found my way there. And then similar with Snapchat, I was obsessed with Snapchat. This is like in its Snapchat prime. Mm -hmm. And I found a girl who was like eight years older than me in my sorority. And I networked with her for nine months and they didn't have any business interns. And she called me like, I don't know, May 15th or something. And I was abroad and she said, hey, we have one position in our LA office. Would you move to LA and start June 1st? Like literally two weeks later. I said, yes. And I went and I loved it. And I went with the intention of thinking I wanted to get a job there after. And I realized that they gave me so much responsibility and it was an amazing experience. And I'm still connected to both my managers from those jobs. But the structure was really tough for me. I had a lot of trouble just waiting for work and thinking about rules. And I was always a little bit of a rule breaker and just wanting to give the respect to my boss, but also knowing I was actually capable of doing some other things. And I came back like midwinter to meet with the team because I was, I thought I was going to get an offer, which I got a verbal offer. And I said, I'm actually going to just start my own business. I have nothing to lose. I can always get a job. You know, the, oh, there's always the opportunity, but why not just try? If I fail, I'll live at home with my parents. I'll not take a salary, but I'll just try and figure it out. And if I quote unquote fail or it doesn't work, then I'll go and figure something out because I know I'm capable of that. Were your parents entrepreneurs? In non-conventional ways. So my dad's dad and my dad's grandma. So my great, great, my great grandma, she was a Holocaust survivor basically. And she fled the Nazis in Austria and she owned a printing plant in Austria that the Nazis took over. And she, that was unheard of during that period of time. Her name was Jenny and the legal entity of Home From College is called Gen Z, J-E-N-Z. And I named it after her because- That's so sweet. Um, That's so special. Which was really sweet. But so that way, and my grandpa was an entrepreneur. My dad is a lawyer and he started his own practice. And my mom's a therapist and she started her own practice. Wow. So, so it does run in your family to believe in yourself and to just go after what you want. And they probably instilled that in you. A hundred percent. They always told me it was possible. Everything was possible, which was such a gift. That is incredible. Yeah. That, there's that layer of like can-do attitude, which is tough, especially at a young age, like to foster that so young. So you were like, this was a kind of not underserved community, but a community that was like not getting professionally, not getting the advantage that they should have. That brings me to this thought I had. I was speaking to a friend of mine who recently had a baby and she after Matt leave was like, I want to switch careers. But she had all these stories about like, well, now I'm a mom and like, who wants to like, let me pivot when mm -hmm. I have already started on this track or for the last 10 years, 12 years, I've been on this track. I've been in this industry. And to your point, like, it's so interesting because even later in life, like if someone, if someone is a stay at home mom and then decides they want to be work for the MBA mm -hmm. or work for whatever their dream is, we stunt them as a mm -hmm. society and yeah. they stunt themselves because mm -hmm. we just are like, this person's 40 years old and wants to get back in the workplace. What do they, what knowledge do they have? But maybe they quote, have something. Yeah. It doesn't quote unquote make sense. Yeah. And that's such a ridiculous thing because we put that on each other in society to put everybody in a box because it helps the society run when everyone's in a box. But That's ultimately, so it's so true. <laughs> that is so true. It's because it helps society run. Right. It's like optimizes life. It's like, oh, check this box on your 
tax return because that's who you are. It you know? keeps people small. It keeps people small and it keeps everyone in check and it keeps expectations you know, at bay. But it really has an impact on your whole life if you allow that system to control you. 100%. I mean, even giving that advice to my friend, I was like, well, I need that advice too. Like, so yeah. like when things change and like you're allowed to change your mind and you're allowed to be a stay at home mom and then be something else. Like, you don't, one of the best founder stories is actually um, the founder of Drunk Elephant because mm-hmm. she, I think her kids were in school and she just like was doing research online, came up with these ingredients, was like, this was all not clean beauty. And ended up selling it for an insane amount of money. Not that that's the only goal, but creating a really lucrative business. That wasn't her background. She didn't need like, you know, an MBA from Harvard or Wharton to make that happen. And like, that's incredible. She had a passion. She, had, she found her purpose. A lot of people actually find their purpose like post-motherhood because you uncover so much about yourself. Your value yeah. system changes yeah. and what's important to you in the world. And I think it's important to have that checkpoint in every phase of life mm-hmm. where you say, okay, this was important to me from 16 to 18 and then 18 to 22 and then 22 to whatever. And it can be even shorter periods than that, but you're not the same person. So I think because it's like, what story does your resume say is been so ingrained in our heads. It doesn't actually make sense because in reality, you can speak your resume and it can tell a very different story. And that's good. You should have the room to color in between the lines and show who you really are besides where you just worked. Like, it's yeah. just I exhausting. do not like the structure of a resume. And Julia does an amazing job on Home From College that when people apply or students apply for gigs, they're not just like uploading their quote unquote resume, the traditional template. They're creating their own resume and, and answering certain questions from the brand that are like fun and that they are able to express their magic through. And I think more and more companies need to adopt to this practice because what you find out from a resume is really just so status quo and does not allow individuality to shine through. It's the same thing. It's putting everybody in the box. It's yeah. standardized testing everyone for the sake of right evaluating back, a, Yeah. And to your point earlier, like like you're really embracing individuality and embracing doing things differently. You structure your day, which is like, I'm not just an entrepreneur. I have Pilates. I like to move my body. I have this. I like to go on a walk, whatever that is. You're structuring yourself and like reminding yourself every single day you're a whole well-rounded human. And at such a young age, we're telling kids like, if you don't have four summer internships by the time you graduate college, you're not worthy of getting a good job. Mm -hmm. Or if you didn't afford or have the connections to go to the best college, you're not worthy of having a good job. And it's like, that's so not. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Again, make-believe rules. Like, who decided that? It's yeah. so ingrained in our system. It's wild. Yeah, you know, I was always so worried to live in L.A. coming from New York because I remember my cousins in elementary school were literally doing activities for their college application. And I'm like, the child is like 10 and they apply to college when they're what, like 17? And they're building their application now by all the chess and Mandarin and this and that that they're doing. And I'm like, the kid needs to be a kid. And like, when is that going to go away? Because some of the most successful people I know, like including Aaron, my husband, he dropped out of school when he was 19. He didn't fit the mold and he took it into his own hands and created an amazing career for himself. But it was so frowned upon when he did it. And granted, this was like 10 years ago. I think it's a little less frowned upon now, but there's still a tremendous amount of stigma when you don't follow the rules. It's actually, interestingly, you know, 10 years later, like considered glorified if you can do it. Like I met somebody the other day who she fully did not have a startup. She, I don't want to disclose too much, but she's kind of in the startup space and there would be no logical reason for her to drop out of school. Like I couldn't actually understand. It's not like she had a business to run or a job that was going to convert her full time, but she wanted to explore this entrepreneurial passion. And she used the story of dropping out of college because she thought that looked cool from a narrative standpoint, but it always flip-flops as society. Like what is the trendy, cool thing to do? Like you were saying, we're the startup generation where everybody wants to start their own business. Aaron was one of the few people who were successfully able to drop out of college and build something for themselves. And now it's also kind of like a re-reckoning, like who are we independently from the institution we're part of, from the town we're from, from all of these factors that previously defined us? How can we show who we are without that label? And I think that's a hard thing that this next generation has to think about too. And and us too. Wow. Okay. Let's go into her love life. Yes. Tell <laughs> us about your love story. Jasmine's a hopeless romantic. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a Valentine's Day. So. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day special. Let's hear. Yeah. How did you meet Kai? So Kai, she started, well, you'll, you'll tell the story because you didn't actually, I guess, start yeah. this. Yeah. We did not, but I'm a serial monogamist. Hi, I'm Julian. I'm a serial monogamist. <laughs> um, I've had boyfriends for always. I had a really serious boyfriend in college throughout this whole, my first business concept. And that was a big, and I was just listening to Dale's podcast talking about her previous boyfriend before she met Nick, her husband. And not that it was that similar, but there was elements of, wow, you're not actually good for me for forever, but you were good for me in this moment. And you actually didn't support the whole emphasis of who I am because you were a little too worried about yourself and you didn't know how to give. And I think that moment of that breakup was a really big turning point for me to then prioritize myself and figure out what was important to me. And I met my now boyfriend, Kai, about, I would say almost three and a half years ago, three years ago, through a mutual friend when I was raising money for my like first and a half business concept. My my second one never came to life because of COVID. We pivoted it. But through a family friend who introduced me to Kai because she didn't properly know how to evaluate a business investment. And Kai is an ex-banker and he could think of things from a logical standpoint. And we connected on the phone and it was, well, we still talk about it today. Do you ever 
get on the phone with somebody and you're like, wow, that was amazing energy. Like, I don't know who you are and I don't even know what you looked like, but that was just like magnetic. Wow. It was one of those moments. And then I made a rule in New York to not go out to work drinks with men because I really wanted to be conscious of setting the boundary of professional and personal. That was a very big learning for me. I had a couple of experiences that not terribly, but were turning to more dates than professional. I really hated that. But I made, for some reason, an excuse to have a drink with him. And Because you loved his energy. I loved his energy. Energy privilege. That was it. And we hit it off from there and then started, Kai started consulting with me for that my first and a half business concept was like, which was like Soho houses on college campuses. So permanent physical spaces. And he has a real estate banking, private equity background. And we worked together for six months, you know, as a paid consultant. And I brought him to my business coach because we were trying to evaluate if we would be good business partners. My business coach sat us down and we were talking and I like was crying on the couch with the business coach for some reason, because it was like a therapy session. But she emails me after and she said, listen, Julia, I need to be really honest with you. I think he's in love with you and I think you're going to marry him. And this is like, this was like one month and knowing this guy, like I had no, that was not at all my intention. There was no energy like that. It was not a date. We had a lot of professional respect for each other. And then basically from March when everyone locked down to June, we didn't see each other, but we started building home from college and we talked all day, every day. And then at some point we started to realize we were like talking after work hours way more in a personal way. And then over that summer, we started to see each other and we realized, oh my God, I think we're actually in love with each other. And we've now been together for almost two years, but it did not start as a relationship and it started as business partners. And I always say this, like if an investor asks, like, are you guys, you know, does this make the investment more complicated because you're in a relationship? And I say, it's not like we went on a date and started dating and then started a business. It was like, you're good at Excel. I have good ideas. Like, let's start a business together. So I think that's like a different mindset than saying, are we going to be good life partners? That ended up being a benefit Mm -hmm. to this, but it was not the outset goal, which is interesting. That's really beautiful. I think it just also goes back to like your entire life, like not (laughs) following the rules, like this non-traditional way of finding your soon-to-be husband, hopefully. Um, Like (laughs) the same way you didn't subscribe to the norm at school or didn't, you know, enter a big corporation post-college, all of these things kind of fit in and part of like your theme, I guess, of life. Totally. And all unintentional. I didn't even know any of these factors would come together. I had no idea that we were actually going to be together, but it was one of those things where I looked up and I said, oh my God, I can actually embrace this. It it took us a lot of time. We talked about it for four or five months. We had both given up our whole careers to start this business together. And what if when we got together, it was bad or we couldn't figure it out personally? It's a different relationship. Yeah, definitely taking a risk. Oh my gosh. And it took us like four and a half months talking it through. What happens? What if this doesn't work? Who's going to continue with the business? Are you going to leave? Will we still stay in a relationship? You know, every scenario but it was so helpful to communicate that. And we were good at it because we were problem solving through our business. And that's what makes us really good and close from a communication style now. Oh, really? And how do you now separate the work so that you can also 
focus on your relationship? Because I think it started where you were focusing on the work and not focusing on a relationship, but then you fell in love. And then like, how do you find that balance? It's really interesting because, so we lived in New York before and we both moved into our childhood homes, basically, when the pandemic happened. Kai's 32 years old, you know, moving in with his parents for extended periods of time. And we would literally like eat breakfast the morning after with each other's parents. Like it was like childhood, like reverting back. So we were able to get really close really quickly because of our parents. So I think that like non-traditional way we build a relationship on the personal side really helped us move quickly in that department in a way that you're like, usually wait a year or whatever to go to Thanksgiving with somebody's family. But on maybe, let's say, air quotes, like the third date, we had breakfast or dinner with each other's families. It was non-conventional from the beginning. So that kind of set the tone for it being that way. But I was listening to a podcast with Emma Greed, the founder of Good American and Skims and all that jazz. And she started that Kardashian conglomerate with her husband. And she said, at 11 o'clock at night, I'm laying in bed with my husband and we're talking about work. Like there's no separation. It's inevitable, but it's just about how do you make the time for the relationship? And like, I'm not going to glorify it because it's there's no good answer. And you work with Aaron at times too. And I'm sure it bleeds over. You talk about it at dinner and whatever, but we really try and protect specific times or we'll say like, at 8.30, there's no work conversation. Like, it must be done for the end of the day unless there's, like, a building burning. But, and same on Saturdays and Sundays, we really try and separate the time physically because it's always in your head. You can't turn it off. Yeah, I think it's interesting because on one hand, it's hard that there's not really a divide and you're constantly talking about work. And at 11 p.m., you talk to your husband about work. But on the other hand, when I, yes, you're right, like I work closely with Aaron on a multitude of things. It's also amazing because I trust him so much. I trust his opinion. I trust that he's on top of it. I trust him to just like execute the way I would or even better. So on the flip side of that too, it's just like, how amazing is it to be in a business partnership with someone that you trust completely to do the right thing and to handle it how you would, because it's hard to find that level of trust from an employee. Obviously it's possible, but when it's someone who is just so close to you, you have a different sense of trust with them because you would put your whole life in their hands. I completely agree. We always say, I don't know how people don't co-found businesses with their significant others. And people have strong reactions to that because sometimes that's just not possible. You're you're not aligned in that way. But given how much time and energy and emotional bandwidth it takes to build a business, no one can understand what you're going through besides your co-founder or besides your significant other in that way. And it's sometimes often hard to find the time to give to your relationship and give to your business at the same time. So we get to spend the time together, even if it's a work capacity, which is really good for our personal relationship too. Do you find though that like Kai must be like emotionally developed and you must be kind of like on the same level emotionally too, to be able to communicate so vulnerably together and to like go over things, whether it's business and or personal in a very like non-defensive way that you can both be receptive. Did that take work or did you both just like have this like sense in you already? So he's five years older than me and I'm always been an old soul. And I come from like four generations of therapists. So the emotional (laughs) develop side is 
<laughs> always there. It's like we talk about like how we're feeling at the dinner table every second, like in my childhood growing up. So that was like a love language for me. And he has a really um, strong relationship with his family and his sister. And a lot of those types of conversations were had frequently for him. And we were able to think about it in that way and find the style that worked best for us. But it honestly kind of happened naturally. And if it didn't happen naturally, then I don't know if I would have gone down this path with him in that way. I think it just was from the beginning that we didn't even have to work at that for it to be easy. So you, you know, the story is very, which is incredible. Like you have this fierce creativity and confidence to go for what you want in business and personal life. And you're taking those risks. What about the doubts? And like, you inevitably have to have them, I assume. Do you have doubts with your boyfriend? Do you have doubts with the business? And how do you deal with them? I think the story on paper sounds beautiful and glorified and sexy and all of the things. And of course, there's a million cobwebs that everyone has in their lives. And I feel like it's super important to talk about it, especially now people want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear the perfect story. It's not fun anymore. And for me, there's really not anything doubtworthy in our relationship because we are such good communicators and it's taken time. We literally like held hands and then we kissed and then we like, we did it like we were like 12 years old because we were so cautious. So that slow process helped us get really familiar with each other. So that was never a question. And I think the stability in our personal lives allows us to have the instability in our professional lives because if both were unstable, we'd crumble. Like there would be no capability for that. So when we argue about, oh my God, which couch should we buy for our apartment in the grand scheme of life? Like, does that really matter? No. And we both know that because we deal with really complicated things in business. So having that stability personally allows us to take bigger risks professionally where we're challenging ourselves, but it doesn't mean it's easy. We both have a ton of anxiety about things in the future and what's going to happen with the business and what can we control and how much money do we have in the bank and all of those things. But because one is stable, the other is a little bit more comfortable and pushing the boundaries of like normal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like on one of our podcasts, we had Sarah Joyce on and she, I really like the way she framed it, but like a safe space to fail. It's like, if you have that stability, then it's okay to like reach for things and be a little reckless and totally be okay knowing that someone's there to catch you. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I would have never started my own company, would have never started Breeze if I didn't have Aaron, if I didn't have that safe space, because he pushed me to start Breeze. And I knew that I was safe with him and that if I failed there, I could come home and I'm not going to be homeless and I'm not, you know, like I'm going to be okay. So I think. It's really important to have stability, but that doesn't need to come from a partner. It can come mm-hmm. from a community of friends. It can come from, you know, a strong belief in yourself. It can come from a lot of different things. I think different personalities need different things, but I think it's an innate human nature to want to feel safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And when you feel safe and secure, you're much more able to take risks. Totally. And with my first business, I had that security in my family. And for many years, I didn't have a salary. And for many years, I lived at home and I sacrificed a million things in my personal life for that level of comfort emotionally. Some people find 
comfort in having a salary and that's really important to them. And I need to live in an apartment in the city and I need to have budget to pay for my life. But I knew my stability could come from my family support system during that risky time. And as I upgraded and grew and evolved as a business person, I found stability in other places. But yeah, 100%, you need to have something there to keep you grounded. Do you feel now though that like, because you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you've been an entrepreneur like maybe like 10 years at this point or more, that you can find some stability in yourself too? Like, do you feel like you've been through so many lows, so many highs, and you're totally fine? You've been through the shit and you are still alive and you're still fine? Like, does that give you some sense of comfort and stability too? A hundred percent. My first business, I was 21 years old, younger, but really when I was doing it full time, I was like 22 years old. I had full-blown adults working for me. I had large budgets from brands that I sold through things that I had literally no idea what I was doing. And I was doing it all alone. And I had so much pressure. And I remember like going to hot yoga at Y7 in New York, like trying to breathe because I like didn't breathe all day. And I was trying to recognize that feeling and I'll never go there again. I know that that's the bottom and I can recognize when I start to approach that. And I find that stability where I can take a minute to step away because I know the low and I don't want to go there. And I at least know that now. And I'm grateful for that experience. And if I didn't have, I think it would be much harder. So it's like, you know, the low of like letting your nervous system go there, right? Like you won't let your nervous system go there. Do you think the shift from moving from New York to LA has really helped stabilize your nervous system too? Oh my God. I'll never shit on (laughs) New York because I'm from New York and it was so good for me. But like, Moving to LA was a fluke. It was never really my intention. I went to New York. We, Kai and I were going to move in together for the first time. This was moving in with your co-founder, with your partner in life for the first time ever. A lot of dynamics at play. And we were going to move into this like small apartment in Tribeca. And we came back from the city looking at it that day, like one day. And I looked at him and I was like, why are we moving there? Like, I just don't get it. And I found an apartment online in LA. And I said, what if we moved to LA? He said, okay. The next day we found the landlord online. We set up a Zoom call. We signed the lease the next day. Two weeks later, we packed two bags. So we moved across the country. So it was like not ever intended, but it was the best gift ever. And I was thinking about it because of this conversation. I met you like maybe two months in after Mm -hmm. I moved here and your dinners and all of the things that you've done to build community are one of the major reasons why I feel so settled here. And no, I appreciate it's such a gift. that. I appreciate that. Cause you know, I think I have a similar story to you. Like we had no intention of moving to LA. Aaron is born and raised in New York, but we were like, we packed our bags and we drove across the country and our stuff is still in a storage unit in New York still, but <laughs> we never thought that LA would be permanent. And now through building the community, I feel, again, back to safety and stability. Once I have a community, I feel safe. I feel like I'm able to like take risks. I'm having a baby now. I feel like so much more secure because the community I have, but I think it it was definitely harder to find. However, I think my nervous system here is a lot calmer. The weather, the walking around, the palm trees, like Mm -hmm. not everyone's like, go, go, go in your face constantly. There's no like, always have to be better, like all that kind of like pressure. There's still obviously the inherent pressure. It's just not as 
in your face, I think, as it was in New York. But again, like I'll never say anything bad about New York too, because it was so good for me and I would never be the person I am today without it. Like it gave me so much and I'm so grateful for it. But I think right now, I think for the point of our lives that we're all in right now, like Jasmine was also in New York um, and we really bonded over that, like all the crazy things New York has taught us, <laughs> mm-hmm. like conditioning wise. Mm-hmm. But I think LA is much more conducive to like listening to yourself and like finding like what actually fulfills you and getting in touch with your intuition and all of that. Yeah, well, New York is like a city of distractions. Mm-hmm. It's also a city of doing, but I feel like I was, especially pre-COVID, really glorifying being busy all the time and being like, I need to be like scheduled. Oh my God. Go to the gym, go to work, go to work drinks, go to an event, go to dinner. And then like, I'd wake up so early and do it again. It's like, why do I have to do that? Going back to the concept of success, like that's what I thought was success. Like having a really full calendar, thinking that that would be the answer to feeling fulfilled. That if you are busy and you are social and you're with people and you're active and you're doing all these things that that would make you successful. And I think New York has an element of breeding that, but I'm curious, and I know you're from here and you moved to New York and came back, but for both of you, for me, moving to LA gave me the feeling that I think college gives some people. I didn't have this in college because Syracuse like is a melting pot for everyone that lives in New York. So I didn't really get the chance to meet new people in that same way, but I felt like I had the opportunity to be a new person that people didn't really know in the same way that, you know, Jews from New York know each other, that I had a chance to start fresh with no expectation of who I am or who I know or where I went to school or any of that. And it gave me a big gift to open up my mind for what was possible. But I'm curious for you, maybe going to New York or vice versa and Annabelle for you and and moving here. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was really, um, I think I always kind of come to those points in my life. Like I remember even going to junior high somewhere new than elementary school and that was junior high and high school. And it felt like a new era than going to college. And that felt like, like I went to USC. I actually went to Emerson for a year. Not right. Very different school than (laughs) USC. Well, we've talked about this before in our podcast, but like the thought that I definitely didn't know myself well enough to make a decision on like what I wanted to study or where I wanted to be. I didn't even apply to schools in California. But when I transferred, I was deciding between NYU and USC. And I was like, you know what? Like NYU, it's amazing. All my high school friends will be there. I almost have more of a network because a lot of my high school friends fed there. But it'd be kind of nice to like start again, which is odd because it's in in LA. So I made a pact that I would live on campus at USC and do that. And that was like a new era. And then same thing after, you know, two years of being in LA post-college, I was also like, get me out again, like constantly needing that change. So New York definitely fed that. And then again, Mm post-COVID and coming back to New York after COVID and being like, well, now I'm 30. And like at that time, broken up with my boyfriend. I was like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. So I think it's just to your point, yes. Like that has definitely been a constant thing, but it's been in every chapter of my life. I've noticed I've done that. Ever evolving. I think that too. But so I'm Canadian originally. And so moving to New York for me was like, oh my God, it was like the biggest melting Mm -hmm. pot. I met people from all over, most inspiring humans. Like I was like so in awe of New York. And the people that I got to meet and I felt like I could be whoever I wanted to be really. But I also think like I could reinvent myself many times in New York because it allows for that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be like one person and be in this 
always in the same circle of friends. Like there's just like so much there, so many people. We moved to LA, like I think LA was hard. Like we moved during COVID, it was hard to build community, which is why I host all those dinners because I want to build my own community selfishly, but I also want to give others community because a lot of my friends have recently moved here as well. And I know how hard it was for me. So I want to make sure others feel included. And I also think in LA, it's like, it's more of like you meet people through friends. It's not like in New York, you go to a coffee shop and you meet Mm -hmm. your new best friend in Mm -hmm. line. And like, next thing you know, Mm -hmm. like she's coming over for dinner and meeting your parents, right? Like (laughs) in LA, it's like, I can't, I don't talk to anyone at the coffee shop. Everyone is like, not talking, not talking. Right. So I think it's just understanding the city for what it is and not trying to put you know, certain aspects of New York on LA and constantly comparing the two and being like, they're both unique. They both have their pros and cons and I can be whoever I want to be then. And it has nothing to do with external. It's like my internal and my internal is better here because I am more calm, which allows me to do the inner work, which allows me to have more time and stillness to like figure out what I truly want to do. I don't think I got time and stillness in New York. I was just so wrapped up in the hamster wheel. As somebody who met you, I feel like through your evolution, but I didn't really know you. I watched you from afar, (laughs) but then we became friends. Yeah, We met, I guess, probably a year and a half ago. And one thing you said to me when we went for coffee, like, I don't know, like eight months ago or 10 months ago, you were like, I always say yes. Like, I'm always going to do something. I'm always going to go somewhere and I'm always going to take the opportunity. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the new Annabelle I know sets boundaries around yes. what's important to you. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and I hear you in my head sometimes that when I have an opportunity to go something and I have major opportunity FOMO, not about because it's like a social thing and I'm not mistaking a picture, but it's more opportunity missing moments that I'm always very tailored to, you know, prone to go to. But I hear Annabelle in my head saying, Annabelle 2.0 would say, take care of yourself. Yeah go to sleep early, drink water. You don't need to go. It's going to be okay. But I feel like I watched that evolution happen for you as you found your space here. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think it just also helps me realize like how far I've come with that. Um, Because again, I really subscribed to FOMO and I went to all the events because I wanted to be seen and I wanted to do what everyone else is doing. And now you're right. This version of me, especially the pregnant version of me is like super energy conscious, super conscious of not only my energy, but energy conscious of the people's energy around me. So if I'm going to an event and I know it's not really my type of people, like I don't really want to go to that. Like I don't need to expose myself to that. And I also think it's like putting myself first more. It's like leaning into like, oh, I feel really tired. Like I'm growing a fucking human Mm -hmm. in my body right now. And I just, I don't want to go. And I don't have to. And I have no shame whatsoever. Instead, I'm very happy and content to be in bed at 8 p.m. reading a book. And again, it's like tuning into the internal versus listening to the external noise. But I think it's always, and who knows, Annabelle 3.0, you're going to witness too. Mm -hmm. Like there's going to be so many evolutions. And I think that's the beauty of life. Like always, we're always evolving. Mm -hmm. So on that note, Julia, (laughs) um, we like to end every podcast with What's the Point, which is the name of our podcast and really understanding your why. It's funny because like maybe a a month and a half ago, two months ago, I was having a a mental B, mental breakdown. And uh, (laughs) I I called my mom and I said, 
can you come to LA? And we went to, I think you're from Ohio, right? Or you were like your parents have a farm in Ohio or something? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I did right. my, I did my podcast recently. Oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> and um, we went to Ohio Valley Inn and we did like a three-day therapy session essentially because I was so exhausted by everything like that this life causes us to do and the choices we make and always selling, always performing. Everything's always good. Revenue's good. Sales are good. All the things like so tiring. And I think for me, I've trained myself to be really motivated by verbal affirmations from people, whether it's through being able to do an alternative assignment or fundraising or sales and getting that gratification was my main motivator. And I would say over the last like two and a half, three months, I've realized that I need to find the gratitude and the respect and the happiness within me and not striving for the other feedback of feeling good. And that's been my shift in what's the point? Because if you're always asking for other people to validate you, whether it's giving you financial benefits from fundraising or having more companies, it's going to be the most depleting experience ever because you're never going to find happiness in what other people are telling you. The world's going to change and that's not going to be enough. So for me, the point is finding a space where I can feel successful and feel motivated. And I think that comes from the beginning of my journey, which was where do I thrive? Where am I in my flow? How can I make a difference? How can I wake up and feel creative and inspired? And if that means selling my business or if that means closing the business or if it means whatever the outcome looks like, it's going to be fine because the point is that I'm fulfilled in my passions and not in a material end game. And I think that's like, I have to continue to say that to myself because I can trick myself back at times. Mm -hmm. But that's the point, I think. Wow. What a beautiful, powerful, powerful way. And thank you so much, Julia. Thank you you for having me. Loved being here. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.